Well, good morning. My name is Casey Kramer. Uh, as uh, Pastor Chad mentioned, I have just been, um, uh, actually, my wife two months ago and I uh, moved with our five kids to the Springboro area. So we're excited to be northern neighbors of you all. It's a little bit of a drive, um, but uh, it's, it's been wonderful um, to, to get to know Ohio. My wife's actually from Troy, Ohio, and so uh, we, we feel like we're, we're kind of coming home uh, in some ways. Uh, but uh, thankful to open up the Word of God with you. Let me, um, let me read Scripture, then we'll pray, and then we'll get started, okay? The reading today is from the book of 2 Timothy. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and we'll start with 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 8. So read with me. This is God's Word here. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you bring life, and we thank you um, that through your word you remind us of your truth. We ask now that you'd speak your truth today, that we'd be forever changed by your gospel. And so, Lord, we ask, would you speak now for your servants are listening? Amen. If you knew you were about to die, what would you say to your child? In the movie My Life, Bob and Gail Ivanovich, played by Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman, they're pregnant with their first child, and it's a son. Now, Bob's horrified because shortly thereafter, he learns that he has this terminal form of kidney cancer, and he'll likely not get to see the birth of his own child. And so he wants his son to know what his priorities are in life. So he does this. He, he, he makes these video messages. Now, students, I'm going to talk to you now and, and, and teach you about something. He did something, he made something called a VHS tape, okay? Now, this is new to, to some of you who are, who are younger than I am. This is the 90s when this movie was made. So VHS stands for Video Home System. And the father did this because he wanted his son to know the most important aspects of life and to teach them through the simple yet profound truths of being a father and leaving a message to his son. So he taught his son through these VHS tapes how to shave, how to make spaghetti, how to drive, but most importantly, how to be a man. And Bob was struggling while doing this with the inevitable fact that he was dying soon and there was nothing else he could do about it. And so the little time he had left, he instructed his son with the most important and purposeful words possible. As we see in this passage of 2 Timothy, the apostle Paul is awaiting his own death. And he has tremendous he has tremendously suffered under Emperor Nero, and he writes this letter while he's imprisoned, under guard, in chains, in a cold cell, 
abandoned by his friends, rejected by his followers, and alone in prison waiting to die. And his last message from Paul, his, the dying father, to his spiritual son Timothy, whom he calls his beloved child, is this, prioritize the gospel. This passage is this knotted-up ball of gospel truths that I, I hope in the next 25 minutes I can kind of help unwind and loosen it for us because it's this beautiful, impassioned, personal plea to Timothy. Guard the truth of the gospel. And in this first century, as this persecution is taking place with Nero, these Christians are pressured to soften the truths of the gospel. Now, heretics had appeared all over with power and authority, <clears throat> and they're... And they're they're trying to break this gospel truth. One commentator even said that Christianity trembled, humanly speaking, because it was on the verge of annihilation. So the truth of the gospel was at risk. And the reality is today, whether we are a first century Christian or a 21st century Christian, the gospel of truth is at risk. And if we're honest, sometimes we feel that same pressure to soften the gospel, right? And we become not much different as a church than the world itself. Our words, our actions, our stances become not salty at all compared to others. The reality is we are tempted to relax our grip on the gospel and begin to drift with the rest of the world. We're in danger of letting the gospel drop altogether from our hands. And Paul is writing Timothy to say to him, don't succumb to false teaching. Don't fall short in times because it's hard. His encouragement is this, because the promises of the gospel are true, prioritize it in our lives. So here's the question that we'll cover today. How do we prioritize the gospel in our lives? Well, I believe there are three ways shown in this scripture today. First, to know the purpose of the gospel. Secondly, to know the power of the gospel. And third, to follow the pattern of the gospel. Purpose, power, and pattern. So first, knowing the purpose of the gospel. So often we hear this term gospel, right, in, in churches, in ministries. We talk about it all the time, but what does it actually mean? What does the word gospel mean? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll break it down. There are three different ways that I would describe it. First is that Christ justifies us. That's the first point of the gospel, right? Christ sanctifies us, and then Christ glorifies us to his people. So justify, sanctify, and glorify. All right, so justify. God, by the work of Jesus Christ, pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight. It's a right standing with God. We are good in God's sight, not by anything we've done, but by faith in Jesus, our promised Savior. So that's justified. Secondly is Christ sanctifies us, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. God progressively changes us into the image of His Son, enabling us to say no to sin and yes to Him. He is helping us be more and more like Him through the power of the gospel. Philippians 2 says this, we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so we get to have the gift of participating in this process where God is making us more holy, more likely. Thirdly, Christ glorifies us. So Christ in his second coming will make us fully in heaven like the way we were meant to be, without sin. New bodies, new world, no more sin. Hallelujah. That's a beautiful thing to think about. He glorifies himself through us, ultimately. And so this is the meaning of the gospel. Justifies us, sanctifies us, glorifies us. But yet the problem is, sometimes we can, we can lose focus 
on the whole aspect of the gospel. We, we maybe just look at one aspect of it. For example, our sins are forgiven. If we just look at our sins are forgiven, then it quickly becomes that this gospel is more about me. It's more egocentric. It's all about what I do and what I get from God. I just want happiness from God. When that's not the reality that he offers us. That's not the gospel at all. That's more of a transactional gospel than a transformational gospel, which is what he calls us to. Or secondly, we could focus just on sanctification, living more like Jesus. If I could just be more like Jesus, wear my WWJD, what would Jesus do, bracelet, live it out every day, forget grace and mercy, here I am, I'm on a mission. But the problem is we can become so overwhelmed with our own sin that we become depressed or apathetic towards God. I'll never live up to that. There's no way. Or thirdly, we could just focus on the glory of heaven, the promises of the future. We look so far to the future that we forget our role today in the church <clears throat> is that we're called to God's mission for his kingdom. We're here to transform the world around us and bring the truth and the goodness and love of God to where we are, where we live, work, and play. <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, man will trust in God no farther than they know him. And I would add, that we trust God no farther than we know Him and know His gospel truths. We can't lose our grip on the gospel and the true, authentic gospel given to us in Scripture. I had a, <clears throat> a pastor friend who lived in the D.C. area. He was a youth pastor. And so he was a youth pastor for these um, high-up elected officials. So we're talking like senators, generals, FBI agents. And he tells this story about how he was uh, a meeting with a Secret Service agent who used to train uh, people on finding counterfeit money. It was really interesting how they trained. See, this, this parent would talk about how uh, she uh, would train the Secret Service agents not necessarily to know how to make counterfeit money or how to uh, look for counterfeit currency. No, she trained them in how to spot true, authentic currency. If you could see what was real, then you knew that everything else was false. And if agents knew the true currency, they could easily spot a counterfeit. And I think we as Christians, we need to know the true, authentic gospel so that when we see anything but the truth, we would be able to spot it and call it out and be careful by it. Because the world is trying to sell us a softer gospel. And we can see the counterfeit when we know the truth. So we need to know the purpose of the gospel through its meaning. But we also need to know the heart, the purpose of the heart. And the heart of the gospel is this, that God saves us by his grace. Now look with me in verse 8. It says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us. We are saved by God through grace, by Jesus Christ. See, Christ came into the world. He was tempted in every way without sin. He lived a perfect life, and then he died to pay for the penalty of your sins, of my sins. Not just some of them, but all of them. Now you might be saying, well, Casey, you don't know me. <laughs> you don't know my sin. How could God possibly save me after what I have done? And the reality is, well, I might not know you, but God knows you. And in fact, 
He knows everything about you. He knows all your last Friday night sins. He knows your Tuesday morning sins. He knows the sins you committed on the way to church here this morning. And the kicker is, while he still knows them, he still chose you. Ephesians 1 says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us. See, the heart of the gospel is love. I mean, think about the gospel messages you've heard in Scripture, like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 1 Timothy 1 says this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And again, you might be thinking, well, Casey, my sin is so great. Yes, Christian, we know this is true, but it, we also know it's true that not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which God gave us in Christ Jesus. The uh, pastor, Richard Sibbs, says this, we have this foundation for truth, that there's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. So then it begs the question, how do I get some of this gospel grace? What do I need to do? Just tell me. I'm thirsty for it. I'm parched. Well, it's by faith in the Lord. We receive it by believing. For all who call on the Lord will be saved. It's not our own doing. It is a gift. So I'll ask the question, do you believe in the meaning of the gospel? Do you believe in the heart of the gospel that we are saved by grace? God wants us to know the purpose of the gospel, its true meaning and heart, so that we can guard it. Secondly, he wants us to know the power of the gospel. Now here's the beautiful thing. This is so encouraging for me as a pastor. Because the power of the gospel is not in Timothy's ability, right? It's not in the minister's ability. Timothy is not some powerhouse pastor of the day, right? How does he describe in Scripture? Well, he's young. He's in his 30s. He's sickly. He's prone to illness, right? I mean, Paul talks about the frequent ailments that Paul has or that Timothy has in his first letter. And he's timid. <laughs> Here's a pastor that seems to shrink uh, from difficult tasks. He needs frequent encouragement from Paul. Don't be scared, Timothy. Don't be ashamed. You know, Timothy's more of this, this leaner rather than a leader. I mean, would you choose Timothy as a young, sickly, timid young man who needs frequent encouragement as somebody to plant churches for you? <laughs> I mean, for me, personally, I would, I would choose someone with great hair, right? Uh, Someone who, uh, you know, is good looking, maybe has an Australian or South African accent, right? Fits in skinny jeans really well. Uh, and yet God didn't choose that person, right? Right? Paul is, is speaking to someone who's young, who's frail, who's scared. Because Paul knew that God would use him in his kingdom. And so the power of the gospel, where it comes from, is not in the minister's abilities. It's in, in Christ, it, the power comes from Christ. Look back in verses 8 and 9. It says this, to share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in where? In Christ Jesus. The power of God comes from Jesus Christ. 
The Great Commission says it well. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. So did Jesus come down, save us, and then leave us alone to fend for ourselves? No. He gives us the power to bring salvation to others because Christ is in us. Now, how does Christ give us this power? Well, Christ does it through the work of the Holy Spirit. So Christ didn't make us powerful on our own. He didn't give us these super power abilities that we're another Marvel Avenger out in the world. We're not autonomous either. We're not on our own to do it, to fend for ourselves. No, there's a relationship, a companion needed. Instead, Christ made us dependent, even more dependent on Him than ever. Through union with Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. So what that means is that we get the Spirit in us. God is present in us. I mean, Jesus says in Acts 1, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it's, it's, it's Christ giving us His power through the presence of His Spirit living in our bodies now. So what does that mean? That you all have the power of God indwelling in you at this very moment. Why? Why would God give us such power and authority? Well, so we can be witnesses. So we can tell others about his goodness. The, the verse right before this passage I'm reading today, verse 7 in 2 Timothy 1 says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Now, when I grew up, I, I was, uh, not a, I was a, a nominal Christian. I didn't have a, a relationship with Jesus. And uh, my background is athletics. And after college, I got to this opportunity to play football in the NFL. And so I bounced around five teams over five years, and it was a real difficult struggle. And I dealt with a lot of stress and anxiety, and I was trying to numb this anxiety through performance, just trying to be enough and through poor choices. And it was when, the, at the end of my first year, my fourth team, I was playing with the Carolina Panthers, and there was a man named John Casey who was their kicker. He was like a 16- or 17-year vet at the time, and there was something different about his life. And I just watched him, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but something was different about him. What was so different about him than some of the other men in the locker room? And so finally I went up to him, and I was like, all right, John, I, I got to ask, okay, you, you seem to be peaceful. You seem to, while there are thousands of people screaming your name, you seem to be able to drown them out. What is different about your life? Because you're kicking these game-winning field goals, and I'm having practice anxiety attacks. Like I'm, I'm having anxiety attacks in the middle of practice. What's going on? And, and John pulled me aside, and he said, Casey, you're trying to live this life under your own power. You're trying to live a life that really isn't going to be possible through your own strength. And so he opened up his Bible, and he brought me to Philippians 4. And he said, I want you to read this. And I'd never opened up the Bible before. So I'm like, all right, I'll check this out. I'll do anything. I'm just so nervous all the time. And it said this, do not be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
He said, Casey, you need to spend time talking to God. You need to present your request to him. And then he read the most powerful passage that I had ever read in my life. He said, read the next line, verse 7, and said this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I said, John, I want that. How do I get that? (laughs) I need that. He said, Casey, you need to believe in God. And he walked me through what the gospel was. And he showed me the priority and the power of the gospel, that it was in Christ. And so I started feeling that moment as I prayed, Lord, make yourself known to me. I started feeling the power and the presence of God taking over my life. And I prayed God, not because I prayed to God that day, not because like I felt like I had figured it out, but I was desperate. I needed something else. I was willing to try anything. And so all of this was because for the first time I saw the power of the gospel at work in somebody else's life, and I wanted that same thing in my life. And so you ask the question, well, what are we supposed to do with this, Casey, if, if we know that this power exists? Well, the reality is, is if we've been saved by Christ's death, if authority and power has been given to us, if, if the power has been given us through the Holy Spirit, well, then we, like Paul, must endure suffering for its sake. We must guard the gospel and it's authentic truth, and then we're to share it with others no matter how we feel, no matter our status, how weak we are, how insufficient we feel, because the gospel is a matter of life and death for us and for those around us, and we have to feel its urgency. Richard Baxter says this, I preach as never sure to preach again and as a dying man to dying men. And isn't that what we are? We're, we're, we're on this earth, but we won't be here forever. And so I've got to ask this question. Do you, do you feel this urgency? Do you feel the power of the gospel at work in your life and the desire to, to get that truth to the next generation? My wife and I, we desire to plant a church, as, as Pastor Chad mentioned, the Springboro area. And, and uh, we feel like this, this, there's this prime location in Cincinnati and Dayton in this corridor that we all live in, right? You all as well. I mean, the city of Dayton has roughly 800,000 people, and yet only 150,000 have uh, a relationship with the Lord. Now, I did some um, looking up on Cincinnati, about 2.2 million people. If, if it's the same percentage there, it's only about 18%. Well, we're talking about 400,000 out of 2.2 million have a relationship with Jesus. That means only 650,000 in almost 300 or 3 million know and have a relationship with God and understand what the gospel is. So what would it look like if we took that 650,000 and we doubled it over the next 20 years? What if we tripled it? I mean, what if our presbytery started a movement of planting churches both in Cincinnati but then also in Dayton and all the places in between to share Christ in simple, effective, and loving ways. Well, then we'd see these two churches, right, planting two more, and then two more after that, and then those would plant more, and all of a sudden we have eight in several years. In the next 20 years, we have half of Dayton and Cincinnati who know Jesus. How beautiful would that be? How would that affect the, the lives of our children? How would it affect the lives of our grandchildren? if people came to know the gospel. Now, you might be saying, well, 
well, Casey, I, I'm just, I'm just a, a, a server in the nursery, or I'm just, I'm just a grandmother. Well, uh, if you look at Timothy's life, <laughs> I mean, Timothy came to faith because of his grandmother, right? Well, I don't have any gifts. What could I do? Well, young, immature, sickly Timothy didn't have any gifts, and look what he did. He started a church in Ephesus, <laughs> and then he was later stoned to death by a pagan mob as he preached the gospel. That's Timothy. And God has given us that same spirit in our lives as well, the power of the gospel to share the good news. So we're to, we're to prioritize this gospel in our lives by knowing its purpose, the meaning and the heart of it, knowing its power, to, so we exclaim it to others, and finally to follow the pattern of the gospel. Now look with me in verse 13. It says this, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So what Paul's telling Timothy is that we are to follow the pattern of Scripture in our lives, that the gospel produces patterned people. And you might, you might know what those patterned people are, you know, the people that are just a little different. They're like John Casey, just something's different about their life. And what's different about them? Well, they have humility. They're unashamed about what they believe. They have a deep sense of joy. They love others in both simple and also profound ways. They are praying people. They are trusting people. And they are holy people with whom we live and from whom we learn. I bet you could name a patterned person if you think about it right now. Someone in your life who understood the gospel, lived it out, I mean, could you come up with a name in your head right now if I gave you a moment? For me, it was a man named George. He was a, a great listener. He was someone who endured great suffering in his life, and he was selfless with his time, and he taught me the love of Christ. Who is it for you? I encourage you to spend some time and think about it, maybe on the drive home. I, I encourage you to, to talk about it with somebody at lunch or, or if you're even able to call that person, if they're still with us, to thank them. See, gospel pattern people, they speak differently. Gospel pattern people give differently. And gospel pattern people live differently because they see the original pattern of the gospel lived out. And where did this pattern of the gospel come from? Well, it originated in Jesus, the most holy, the most loving the one who endured impossible suffering, the most self-giving person to walk on the face of this earth. And Jesus shows us and teaches us what that holy life, that patterned life of the gospel looks like. I mean, Jesus turned a murderous, persecuting, self-righteous, hate-filled man named Paul into a loving, humble, self-giving man who went from a life-taker to a life giver. And if Jesus, if Jesus can change Paul, then he can change you. He can, he can change even a guy like me. And I've got to ask you this question. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this gospel? And do you believe this gospel can affect Cincinnati and Dayton the way that it has affected us and this world. 
Because the reality is, we need a constant reminder that the death and resurrection, resurrection of Jesus justifies us and sanctifies us and ultimately will glorify us in our eternity with him. And we need to be reminded that the power of this gospel is not from our own abilities or our own efforts, but through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And it is at, it, he is at work in our frail, our timid souls. And so we're invited to share this powerful gospel with others, to live out the pattern of the gospel that others too may believe the beauty of this truth that we find in this scripture here today. As Bob Ivanovich was dying, he as a father left a message to his son that he would know the love of his father. And Paul does the same thing writing this letter to Timothy, that he would know the love that he has for his spiritual son. And our heavenly father has left a message for us, but this time it is through a person, Jesus. So let's take this message, this gospel message given to us by Jesus Christ, and let's tell others about it. Let me pray. Father, we love the fact that as much as we stray from you, you are patient, you are peaceful, and you call us back to your son Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would make the gospel a reality in our lives and you would teach us, Lord, what it means and yet how to live it out. That others too would know the beauty with which we have from you, and they would go tell others as well. So, Father, would you do a work in us? Would you do a work in our towns, in our cities, for your glory, Lord, that everyone would know who you are and the powerful truth of the gospel? Lord, prioritize it in our lives as we make a priority of you today. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.